I did a really nice hike, unfettered views of Mount Rainier. It was amazing. Oh, it was gorgeous. This got me thinking of the kinds of animal encounters we might have right here in the Pacific Northwest. Let's follow in the big footsteps of the elusive, furry, woodland creature, the source of unending speculation of cryptozoologists the world over, as we join the Henderson family and their gentle giant house guest, Harry. <laughs> I love this movie. Oh my god, I love it. This is such a great pick. That's right, everyone. Welcome back to 80s High, the podcast that accidentally runs over a woodland ape in the forest, takes it home and adopts it, and through a series of house-crushing antics, learns valuable life lessons about family, belonging, and environmentalism. I'm Chris. <laughs> and I'm Ben. And this is 80s High. Did you just say our podcast hit a Bigfoot in the forest? I can neither confirm nor deny that oh, happened. Oh, no. We hit something. We hit something. I feel so guilty. Are yeah. we just going to shoot blindly into the woods and see what happens? We are recording this episode on the road. We're just, we're, we're constantly moving. We're driving through forests. We want to, while talking about Harry and the Hendersons, we want to encounter a Bigfoot. We're in the Pacific Northwest. This is the epicenter. Where else are you going to find him? Well, and according to this movie, he's just down I-90. So I think like he's- Literally like 40 minutes away from Don't us. throw away. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going, Ben? How you doing? Good, good. I've got two exciting bits of 80s news this week to share. Okay, yeah, two pieces. So nerding out, I have learned of two awesome 80s documentaries in production right now. Okay. So one is on Kickstarter, and it's called In Search of Tomorrow, the Definitive 80s Sci-Fi Documentary. Mm. And the trailer is awesome. The documentary is going to explore how creative and diverse 80s science fiction filmmaking was. Mm -hmm. And it's already at half a million pounds. Which I think converting to U.S. dollars is like $3 billion or something. I forget the exact conversion on that. It changes daily, so you know. But go check that out on Kickstarter. That looks amazing. In Search of Tomorrow. And then, have you heard about RoboDoc? No. They just wrapped shooting a RoboCop documentary. Interesting. And this thing was like on the edge. They weren't sure if they were going to make it or not. If it was going to come through. And I guess at the last minute, Peter Weller who plays RoboCop, right. agreed to be interviewed for the documentary. And they're like, that's all we needed. We just that's needed your Weller. Get. Yeah, that's your get right there. So Shoot. they got him. And so, yeah, two cool 80s sci-fi documentaries coming to a home theater near you. That's amazing. Yeah. Nicely done. I'd love to talk about more 80s documentaries, but my CB radio is crackling. I feel like we're getting a Ooh. call from like the ranger station. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's hear what's happening. Attention 80s high. I'm Jackie Intress, here to share today's homeroom announcements. Want to be totally tubular? Follow 80s High Podcast on Instagram. Today's lunch menu will be the Super Bowl Shuffle Special, Franks and Beans. You can join the class of 80s High to learn or contribute to upcoming episodes. Email 80shighpodcast at gmail.com to join. That's 80s 
hipodcast at gmail.com. After school today, join the Dungeons and Dragons Club for a fun and fantastic journey into a land of fantasy. Whether you're an elf, bard, or troll, you'll be guaranteed a good time with good friends. This Thursday, join the Fighting Mogwai's men's volleyball team for their Shirtless in the Sand tournament. They'll be in the danger zone and having a blast. Thank you, and have a funky, fresh day. Go Mogwai's! Well, that was great. I thought with our theme, though, that we'd be eating a lot more just berries and branches uh, <laughs> lying around. But, you know, I'll settle on that. I mean, little did we know, Bigfoot is a vegetarian, so... Well, let's go back to where I can only assume you're going to begin in the next class, which is the dawn of ape-like humans. Let's go back in time. Let's hit history class. Before you go on what I'm sure is like a beautifully constructed history setup for this movie. Yeah. I just want to say how excited I am to talk about this topic. I will not lie. I somewhat chose this topic because I know somebody in the room right now is a bit of a Bigfoot fan. Oh, man. It's fascinating. It's an interesting concept. But like, no matter where I would be, if someone just leaned over, a total stranger... I'm at a campfire circle, at a campground. I'm at a Sounders game. Uh, I'm on the bus. If someone just leaned over to me and said, yo, you want to talk about Bigfoot? I would drop everything and say yes. Yeah, you would just explode into like, let's just start banging on logs. We're going to talk squatching grounds. Let's get into it. Well, I'm very excited for uh, us to discuss this topic, which of course is Harry and the Hendersons, (laughs) a little 1987 movie you may or may not have heard of, may or may not have seen. If you haven't seen it, or perhaps it's been a while, what is Harry and the Hendersons? The synopsis is, our friends, the Henderson family, are returning from a camping trip, maybe a hunting trip. It's a little unclear, right, Ben? Yeah, I feel like it was one of those awkward family vacations where, like, we all discussed what it was going to be, and then one of the parents decided it was going to be something else once we got out there. You get a sense that not everyone's fully on board with this vacation, but like a family, you sort of suck it up and you go. Yeah, exactly. So they're returning from this camping trip, and they hit an animal on the road. Uh, Little do they know, upon closer examination... They hit Bigfoot. That's right. The elusive woodland ape himself. (laughs) They think it's dead. And so they decide to take it home because it could be a valuable prize. But soon find out their stinky house guest is anything but dead. And while he does ransack their house, they learn he's ultimately a gentle giant who has (laughs) compassion for living things. And they grow quite attached to him. The Hendersons attempt to keep Harry a secret, hiding him from authorities an obsessed Bigfoot hunter and a Seattle populace growing terrified and gun crazy from the headlines of a Sasquatch on the loose. And then they have the ultimate decision. Do they keep Harry and their family, or do they release him back to his true home? That's a great summary. Okay, so this movie is directed by William Deere. Mm-hmm. It is also written by William Deere, along with Bill Martin and Ezra D. Rappaport. Notable cast members, Ben, who is in this movie? Nobody's, right? No one's ever heard of any of these people, not been in anything before. It's just a, it's a bunch of no-names, right? So, right, exactly. This, this is all like the, let's like Lost, the TV show, like all right. new faces. Yeah. If you picture a mom from the 80s, mm-hmm. Melinda Dillon probably helped shape that image in your brain. So Melinda Dillon is the mom in this. She's also the mom in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm -hmm. She's also one of the most iconic 
moms in all of film history ever. She's the oh, mom yes. in A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story. And she also appears in the delightful cinematic adventure, The Muppet Movie. Oh, wait, wait, which one? There's been so many. I think like it's the original. The the first original, The Muppet okay. Movie. Okay. All right. Not I will the, say. Uh, not the Jason Siegel ones. Right, right, right. I will say this much. When she spoke, that voice, I was like, wait a minute. I that's know this what, actor. That's what triggered me too. I know this actor because her hair is different than it is in A Christmas Story. And so it didn't immediately register, but the more she started talking, I was like, that's the mom. She's a mom again. I was, I was waiting for her to yell at one of the kids like, Ralphie? Like Ralphie? I was just waiting for Oh my it. gosh. It just didn't happen though. How do the piggies eat? How do the squatches <laughs> eat? <laughs> oh my God. She's iconic. Iconic. So good. Who else is in this movie? Like you mentioned, there's there's sort of a, a ne'er-do-well Bigfoot hunter and then sort of the passionate Bigfoot hunter who's lost the sheen on his hunt, Don Amici. Mm-hmm. who is also iconic in so much you and unfortunately oh, yeah. he's no longer with us he passed away in 1993 yeah. but you'd recognize him from both of the cocoon movies which Indeed. i would love to revisit because wow is that a ride mm-hmm. uh trading places he's one of the two rich investors that they they put out yep he's in coming to america as well so he's a, he he's is? a big actor in the 80s as well yeah i cannot remember his character in that movie i know you know what it is He's the guy from Trading Places. Like, they make a reference to him where they're like, he's like, Randolph, we're back. Eddie Murphy's character gives him, like, a bunch of money or something, like a big envelope of cash. Yes. You might know him best, though, as the voice of Shadow in Homeward Bound. (laughs) 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 But then last but not least, really the the second star of the show after Harry is John Lithgow. Mm -hmm. And I feel like whenever you see John Lithgow in, like, a oddball comedy role this and particularly third rock from the sun or like when he's the bad guy in cliffhanger opposite stallone right but i feel like when whoever i'm watching those movies with always says but you know this guy was like this classic actor how's he doing that but no one has the the backup on that classic so i want to like just do a little quick little cv dive here on let's go before we get in okay so Lithgow studied at Harvard University, winning a Fulbright scholarship and getting a chance to attend the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art. So he's an idiot. Total dumb dumb. Very worn down crayon in the box. Yeah. Uh, from there, he focuses training on the New York stage, beginning a distinguished career on Broadway. It's a little theater scene you might have I heard, heard it's of. like just one street, right? It's, it's just, just like one tiny little backcountry road. He's won two Golden Globes. He's won six primetime Emmys. Three Screen Actor Guild Awards, yep. uh, two Tonys, nominated for two Academy Awards, and he won four Grammys? That's it? I wonder. I wish I had dug in more. I wonder what he's saying. So he's inducted into the American Theater Hall of Fame, and if you're strolling through L.A. and you're on Hollywood, you might step on his star on the Walk of Fame. Hmm. So now, when you someone makes that comment next time you're watching a movie with Lithgow, they're like, I can't believe he's in this. He was classic. You can be like, knowledge bomb. So the dude's a genius. He's kind of like uh, Mayan Bialik, who plays Blossom. She's oh, yeah. in, uh, what you call it? The, Pumpkinhead um, from 1988. Pumpkinhead. <laughs> is she, she in that? Is she in that? Yeah. No, uh, what's the uh, Big Bang Theory? She's in Big Bang Theory. Oh, right. And she's like a freaking genius. Harvard, Yale, UCLA, neuroscience. It's all under the belt. Amazing. Well, we can't also forget. There's another iconic actor in here, but you may not realize it. Mm. Kevin Peter Hall plays Harry. He's the guy in the giant suit. (sighs) And this dude is tall. He's seven foot two. Huge. Huge. And so they made the costume so that he could be about eight foot tall because Lithgow is 
huge. He's six four, which is a freaking tall John dude Lithgow's to begin with. John Lithgow's six four. John Lithgow is freaking That's tall. That's out of control. Kevin Peter Hall, all he's done a lot of acting. He also played Predator. So he was the Predator in the first Predator oh, movie. Really? Indeed. Wait, this isn't yeah. the guy who also played the Xenomorph in Alien, is it? I don't think so. Because that guy's also really tall and lanky. You know, there's so many of these actors that you don't realize they're actors because, like you said, they're in costumes, right? The In the first movie, that was a per, of Alien. That's a person in a costume. It's amazing. That's uh, You think like Peter Mayhew, right? He's Chewbacca and – um, Kenny Baker, who plays R2-D2, like there's all these great people who are doing cool stuff, but they're they're kind of hidden away. So I wanted to make sure I give a little love to our creature feature himself, Harry, and the man who brought him to life, Mr. Kevin Peter Hall. And he does an amazing job. That's great. So this movie opened third behind Beverly Hills Cop 2 and The Untouchables. Oh. I mean, those are two pretty big movies. And this movie didn't make as much as it probably could have for a very good reason. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but it did go on to gross about just under $30 million in North America and about $20 million internationally. Uh, it also won an Academy Award for Best Makeup. Not surprising. This oh. is amazing creature effects done by special effects legend Rick Baker. Uh, so he's the one who designed the costume. Uh, he said he based it largely off orangutans, which makes sense. Yeah, he kind of totally has that, that like, for sure. like the head ridge that, you know, is very yeah. symbolic of orangutans. So it's like he's kind of got that bit. Makes sense. Uh, he did say, Rick Baker said that this was his favorite creation that he's done. Huh. Pretty cool. So like I said, this movie did pretty well, but it didn't do as well as it could have. And the yeah, reason is, so the production company, the filmmakers, they decided to keep Harry a secret in the trailers. So the movies, you don't actually see Harry. You don't see the Bigfoot. What? They give like glimpses or hints or an <sighs> essence of. They kind of held their cards a little too close to the vest. They held back a little too much. So it never really found the right target audience for people who would want to go see the movie. Are they trying to do like an alien thing where they don't reveal the monster? To, like, lure you in? It's that how much do you show where you don't show everything. But it's like this movie isn't based on a huge reveal of Harry. It's really based more in, like, you know, the silly antics that ensue. But this was such an issue. When it went overseas in some markets, it was renamed Bigfoot and the Hendersons. Really? Make no mistake. (laughs) This is chock full of Bigfoots. Yeah. This is a Bigfoot movie. So I thought that was pretty hilarious. Chock full of big feet. Thank you. (laughs) According to cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman, some characters in the film are based in some ways on actual people in the Sasquatch community. So Jacques Lefleur is the kind of crazed Bigfoot hunter we talked about. Uh, He's a nod to the late Canadian Ray Dahenden. And Dr. Wallace Wrightwood, Donald Amici that you mentioned. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Has some qualities of a few characters. There's John Green, Peter Byrne, and the late Dr. Grover Krantz. So apparently a little bit of a nod there. Now I used the word here, cryptozoologist. (gasps) Can you tell our listeners who maybe don't know, what is cryptozoology? Crypto is sort of strange, odd, and bizarre. And Mm -hmm. zoology is animals. So it's bizarre animals. So you've got your Mothman, you've got your Bigfoot. Loch Ness, Chupacabra, your Yeti, Jersey Devil. Oh, yeah. And those are just the common Western ones. I mean, there are cultures all over the world have these sort of interesting monsters that are in lore and mythology. 
Says the man with a kraken on his shirt so, right I, oh, now. Very appropriate. <laughs> for instance. A kraken. Yeah, lots of different sea monsters. So anyway, I just think it's very entertaining and a lot of fun, the field of cryptozoology. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about this movie, obviously, but it's like I wanted to define a few things. If we're going to talk about them, let's define them so we're all on the same page. So cryptozoology is one thing. And one of the things that they study, as Ben mentioned, is Bigfoot. So yeah. what is Bigfoot? Oh, what is Bigfoot? Bigfoot, also commonly referred to as Sasquatch. You might hear that. Somewhat used interchangeably, parts of Canadian and American folklore. It's commonly described as large, muscular. It's a bipedal ape-like creature. Mm -hmm. It can be anywhere from like six to nine feet tall. That's around two meters roughly. Also, a defining characteristic, which this movie points out ad nauseum, is the pungent, foul-smelling odor. Yeah, they really made a big deal of the smell. Oh my gosh, so much. We're going to talk about that. We get it. He stinks. I swear they did it like 20 times in this movie. And this does actually lead into some other similar creatures, which one is called the skunk ape uh, in southeastern U.S. So this is kind of big in Florida, for instance. There's also the Almas, Yeti, and the Yeren in Asia. And in Australia, there's the Yowie. And so Yowie. these are all very similar types of, again, large, hairy creatures. Very elusive, very hard to find, very cryptozoological. Okay. So part of the folklore is there's evidence purported evidence i don't believe you of bigfoot's existence and so it's based on a lot of anecdotal visual sightings video and audio recordings which are often disputed as well as photographs casts of large footprints etc sightings do predominantly occur in the northwest region of washington bingo oregon northern california and british columbia so once again we are in prime squatchy territory yeah this is the zone if you want to see one this is where you come Ben, you're familiar with the Patterson-Gimlin footage, are you not? We put a gif of it in the survey for this episode. So if you're in the class of 80s high, you're already in the know of what we're about to talk about. And even if you're not in the class of 80s high, chances are you know exactly what this footage is, even if you didn't realize it, because this is really the most iconic piece of Bigfoot evidence out there that has been highly scrutinized, analyzed, debated. You know, it's the zoom in, enhance, you know, it's all that stuff, right? Enhance, I've seen so many videos on YouTube about people analyzing to death this Patterson-Gimlin footage. So what is it? It comes from October 20th, 1967 by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin uh, in the area called Bluff Creek. It's in Northern California. Uh, I was curious. I wasn't sure where it was shot. That's cool. And basically, if you've seen Bigfoot footage, you've seen this one. So much so that there's that like very classic, if you see a sticker or a sign of Bigfoot where it's walking, it's like mid-stride. That is a very iconic image of Bigfoot. It's from this footage. You're hanging out with your friends and you're out by the campfire one of your friends gets up unannounced to go into the house and get a beer. And he's had Mm. a few drinks. Mm -hmm. He's walking and you shout, hey, Gary. However, he's walking and turns to you. That's what this footage (laughs) looks like of Bigfoot. That's what's happening. That's a great point. Yeah, there's also that kind of turn back. That's another distinct point of that classic image. Like, what's going on back there? Well, let's get to chemistry class. Let's talk about how we felt about that movie then. And perhaps now. I've got a hair sample. I've poured some plaster into a print. I'm ready for chemistry. Just at the top of chemistry, I want to mention just a quick overview of the movie. Again, if you haven't seen it in a while, you just remember what happens. Please. So as I mentioned... 
Harry's hit. They take him to the home. You know, fish out of water scenario. He's not happy, by the way, with their house. Because there's a lot of animals mounted on the wall. There's a mink stole in the bedroom. He is not pleased. Right. There's a kooky neighbor that kind of comes in. She doesn't do a whole lot, but they're trying to hide him from her. Like I said, there's this very obsessed Bigfoot hunter who's really trying to chase him down. George is the father. That's John Lithgow. Yeah. It's been mentioned. Melinda Dillon plays Nancy, the mother. Margaret Langrick plays Sarah, the teenage daughter who she's the classic teenage kid who can't be bothered. She has no interest in this creature. She thinks it stinks. Get him out of my house. And then the son, played by Joshua Rudoy, is Ernie, and he's all in on Bigfoot. Oh, my God. From, like, day one. And so there's just a lot of antics with that. Well, eventually, Harry realizes they're going to try to take him back to the wilderness. He runs away. And Seattle goes insane. Seattle loses its mind. So everyone's at the gun shop. Buying crazy amounts of gun and ammunition. It's like vigilante justice. There are people roaming Seattle with like arsenals. Yeah, it like trying to kill the, Bigfoot. Some of the scenes like turn into like post-apocalyptic like street brawl kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Why does Harry come back? I don't remember why Harry comes back. Well, because he sees George on the television, like at the there's right. like an electronic store, and he sees him on TV because right. he's just uh, the cyclist who said that he had the Bigfoot encounter. And George is like, you're lying. That's not what happened. He's gentle. And he kind of confronts the guy. And then Harry gets a little homesick and decides, well, I guess Henderson's sick and decides he wants to go back and (laughs) and hang out with them. At one point, George does go meet Donimichi's character, Dr. Wallace Wrightwood. He goes to the museum because he wants to get like advice and talk to him about what he thinks about Bigfoot. And at first, the guy pretends he's not the doctor, but it's really him. And he comes back later. He meets Bigfoot and is just ecstatic. Ultimately, they though, they decide they have to take him back to the wilderness. That's where he belongs. Yeah. And they do that. But our friend Jacques, who's been chasing Harry all over the place, is it's like a mad chase out of Seattle. Not surprising to see that back in 1987, Seattle traffic was still abysmal. Yes, I made so. that note too. The traffic is still awful in the whole movie. So there's this whole chase out of town. They take him out to the wilderness. There's an iconic scene where he's like, get out of here. Can't you see? You don't belong here. And he's just, you're trying to send him back. He slaps a Bigfoot in the he face. smacks him across the face. I mean, I'm not a physical violence person at all to begin with, but a Bigfoot is one of the last things I would smack in the face. Uh, a nine foot tall monster? Game Good over. luck to you, sir. Peace out. So Jacques Lafleur comes back. Basically, there's an altercation, but Harry does teach him a life lesson of compassion for living things. And the guy does like a 180, and now he's best friends again with Dr. Wrightwood. So they have a little chuckle. The family, you know, gets a, a little mini reunion with Harry, but then ultimately he goes back into the woods. And who else goes back into the woods, Ben? Like 19 previously unforeseen Sasquatches of various size and color. Speaking of Predator, who could cloak and chameleon to his background, all of these Sasquatches start peeling off of trees and come to life. It's a little... I'm going to talk about this a lot. This movie could easily go sideways at any moment and turn into a horror movie. Yeah, no, now that you said Predator, I wish like every time one of them was revealed, you got that sound of Predator decloaking where it's like... Whoa! As it turns out. Yeah, the little like clickings and stuff. Yeah. So good. Oh, that was a shocker. I forgot about that. Along with the little like the um the heat overlay (laughs) where you can see all the figures out there. And that's basically the end of the movie. So that's kind of the arc of it. 
Let's kick off a little bit with great lines, scenes, story moments that we both like. Maybe we can just do a little back and forth. So Ben, what's one thing that really stood out to you? So I'm just going to kind of go in order. But when I camp, I prefer to camp really light. Like even if I'm doing car camping, I'm bringing just the essentials. When the movie opens, it is the most elaborate campsite I think I've ever seen. Like, without Are they glamping? RV. Is this glamping? Is it that is what they were doing? It's glamping. There's like all the cookware. They've got collapsible tables and, and they've got an insane campsite on a river. Nobody else around. It's just, it feels like they set up a kitchen on a riverbank. <laughs> I chortled and snorted at how over the top the campsite That's was. That's something you would see in like a hipstery Instagram account, right? Yes. So that caught me right out of the gate. One thing I just wanted to mention that is when Harry gets into cars and his head goes through the roof and he leaves that like giant bump. That always tickled me as a kid. I would always like crack up at those parts. And uh, just seeing those again, I was like, oh, yeah, that's just immediately identifiable. That's Harry and the Hendersons. No, totally. I mean, speaking of him getting in the car, I something I remembered that really brought back like a memory I had forgotten as a kid is when Lithgow's trying to get Harry out of their house and he's throwing cheeseburgers in the back seat. And I remember as a kid, you know, he's like dumping hot, fresh French fries. And I remember as a kid, every time I was like, I want fast food. I want a cheeseburger and French fries and milkshake right now. And I had forgot about that scene. That was fun. There's something about like that yellow wrapper, like that yellow crinkly wrapper that's around the burger. And he's like throwing it in there. I was like, oh my God, I think it's supposed to be McDonald's. So there's no writing on the packaging, but it definitely felt very McDonald's. It's like Mick Henderson's or something. I don't know what (laughs) what the heck it is. Ridiculous. But you're right. I totally wanted fast food after I saw that scene. I was like, oh, I could do a burger and shake right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Before they get Harry in the car, there's a thing, and then we'll talk about this more, and we talk about the family growth arc. So John's driving down the road. He's speeding in a station wagon on a dirt road. The sunlight is blinding him. Oh my gosh. Uh, His wife offers him sunglasses. He's like, no, I'm fine. He's driving like an idiot. Mm -hmm. And he hits Harry. And after they kind of settle down, his line is, you buy a classic, you take good care of it, and then some dumb animal... Dude, you were speeding in a station wagon on a dirt road. You're going to blame it on the animal when it tries to cross the road? You're a jerk weasel. Ben, you've been on plenty of forest service roads in this area. They are not major throughways. No. And this guy's like hightailing it. But I will say that sun in the eyes is real. Like, you know, we've mentioned before, we both grew up in the Midwest. When you come here to the Pacific Northwest, there's something about the angle of the sun where you can just be immediately blinded when you come around a corner, you hit a clearing. It's real. You know, I have a very practical insight to that, I think. So you sit in Seattle, the Cascade Mountains are to the east. That's where a lot of the cool hiking trails are. That's where they find Harry in this movie. Indeed. To get a good spot, a good camping site to hit the trail before it gets crowded, you got to go early in the morning, which means as you drive east, you are staring into the rising sun. Blinded by the light. (laughs) Yeah, you do your hike and then you're going to drive home west and the sun is again (laughs) blinding you in your eyes on the way back. I get it. I think it's a little shout out to that. That drives me nuts. (laughs) Anyway, that stuck with me. There was a scene that I, there'd be no reason to remember, but cracked me up. Do you remember that sassy librarian? (gasps) I have a note here. She was so funny. So he goes to the library because he wants to look up information about Bigfoot. He wants to learn about them. He runs up to her. He's like, I'm in a hurry. I'm on my lunch break. I don't have a lot of time. I need to know where I can find Bigfoot. She looks at him and she says, oh, it's in fantasy, folklore, myths, and legends. 
Boom, boom, boom. And she's got this like dry, salty delivery. And as he's running away, she's like, also try children's books. Yeah. I loved her deadpan saltiness. My note that I had is her mullet is splendid. She it's did like, have a mullet. It is like a firework of auburn and brown on her forehead. And then it just drapes down like 80s curtains. It is amazing. I loved it. It was so good. So early in the movie, something I had forgotten about is actually like as a kid when I watched this, there were a lot of scenes that I was really scared as a mm. kid. Like there was definitely like hands over the eyes peeking through the fingers while something was happening. Like when he first hits Harry and they're like walking up to approach it, even before they get out of the car, I remember being right. like, oh God. Yeah. I was so scared of that. When they get home and Lithgow goes outside well, and Harry's- when they're driving and he comes down oh my over God. the windshield? The old jump scare when he's like, yeah. oh, on the windshield. Yeah. Terrifying. And then the poor thing gets launched off the car yet again. Oh, cartoonishly. But then when they get home and Lithgow hears a bump in the night and he goes out and Harry's not in the garage on top of the car anymore. And the flashlight rolls around in the kitchen and then Harry's it's in the kitchen. so good. As a kid, like, I was really scared by those scenes. The spinning flashlight, it just sets the right tone. And they shoot it from an angle where Lithgow's on the ground and he's looking up at Harry. So, like, that forced perspective just makes him seem all the more menacing and towering. But you miss a little point there. When he wakes up in the middle of the night, he has a flashback of hitting Harry. It's like a really like three second quick thing. And that's what jolts him out of sleep. And I was like, that's kind of a horror moment in this otherwise pleasant movie. It's like he's a little disturbed by what he did. We asked the class of 80s, hi, let's say you're driving home in the woods. You hit a Bigfoot. What do you do? What do you do? The most common answer, I think, was the most logical, which was just call the authorities. This is not something any of us are trained to handle. I didn't clarify in the quiz who the authorities are. If that's a ranger, police, firefighters, uh, someone from the zoo. Depends on where you are, the circumstances. Totally. A lot of things. Yeah. Uh, Second was to follow exactly what happened in the movie. Pull over, get out of the car and inspect the Bigfoot. Okay. People are like, let's, I'm curious. Let's go check this out. What did I just hit? Smell does not bother me. But not a single person chose the option of what happens next in the movie, which is strap it to your roof and drive it home. I think that's smart, and that's why this is a movie and not real life, and our listeners are wise enough to know antics will ensue if you take this creature home. Yeah, not yeah. a good idea. I think something else that stuck out for me in the movie, you, know, you already you mentioned it briefly, but when Harry gets into the Henderson's house, we know and we learn later, and this is sort of some odd sequential storytelling that happens in Harry and the Henderson's, but we learn much later that Lithgow's dad started a gun shop. And Lithgow works at the gun well, it's shop. It's kind of a sporting goods store. I would call it a sporting yeah, goods sporting store. Yeah, sporting goods store. That's, 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 but they that's certainly sell guns, like yeah. hunting. It's hunting apparel. And we know we know at the top of the movie, his son having just shot and killed a rabbit. And he's so proud. So we know he's a hunter. Right. But when Harry gets in their house and sees all the taxidermy on the walls. Oh, he is not pleased. I was just kind of shocked because like, I realized, I can't remember the last time I saw taxidermy anywhere. Like besides like a museum. Have you been to a Cabela's? Uh, I have not. I have not. Taxidermy everywhere. But your point, like, someone's house. I would have been a little like Harry, like, really? You really yeah. gonna do this? Uh, I have a hot burning question for you. Yes. There's a neighbor in this movie. Oh, dear. Who just walks into the house. Like she owns the place. Like she owns the place and just starts taking stuff out of fridges. Was that a thing in your youth growing up? Like, did your folks, like, any family have neighbors who would just walk into the house? So real quick, this is Lainey Kazan. She plays Irene Moffat. She is the quirky neighbor. Again, very classic 80s. The quirky neighbor who's a little eccentric, helpful but nosy. You know, she's helping watch the dog, but she's also a busybody. And of course, she's going to come over and, like you said, just pilfer the refrigerator, which is basically laying open on the floor because Harry's trashed it, right? 
Yeah. But she doesn't say, hey, can I help you clean up? She's like, can I grab stuff out of your refrigerator? She's like female crimer is what she is. Right. But like, is this a real thing that some people experienced where like you had neighbors who just walk up straight into your house? You know, maybe some people are just a little more open about that stuff. I'm like, get out of my business. Yeah. You're going to make an appointment. Even if you're a close friend that I know well, we're going to set a time. That's right. Uh, What was the next thing that hits you? There's this great moment where George is trying to like convince the family of something. He's like, this is very important. He's like, this is about us. This is about life. This is about time. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is getting like really deep. And he's talking about family and where we are. And he's like, magazines. Oh, the kitchen scene. Right. He's like, how are they going to make money off of it? Yeah. Right? And it totally threw me for a loop where I'm like, oh, he's getting really deep here. And then he's like, magazines. I thought that was a very cute moment. I didn't see it coming. I like that. I think it was really funny. And, ma- and maybe this is a throw. This wasn't big, but I just wrote it down. But there's a lot of like awkward swear shock in the movie. Like it is a family oh, movie. yeah. But, like, every time somebody cusses, someone else comments on the cuss. The little like, kid language. does it a lot. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, hey, watch your mouth. Like, all the time. And then just, again, mm-hmm. you watch, like, even modern family movies. And it's, like, a swear every few minutes. And it's so PG-13 or whatever. Um, so it's just interesting to see, like, we're going to swear and we're going to comment on every swear, too. But sometimes it's the kids doing it, right? It's funny because the kid is swearing, which is unexpected. But then, of course, you know, you're going to laugh because the parent's going to reprimand him because that's what parents do. So I get it. I get it. Of course, another big scene is after Harry finally comes back, they finally reunite with him. They bring him back home. As we've mentioned in this movie, they comment many times that this creature is stinky. Oh, my God. There's so much sniffing. So much sniffing. All the characters. There's the holding the nose. There's the waving the hand in front of the nose to an excessive amount. Uh, But after he comes back, he gets what I call the extreme hairy makeover. Oh, my God. So they're grooming him. They're washing him. And it's all uh, to the the background. Uh, He gets a smoky eye. They're doing like a little (laughs) smoky eye on him. And it's all done to the Adams Family theme song, which I don't know why it's Adams Family, but it still worked so well. I think it's just a do-do-do-do. Yeah. Is it to be – is it like Lurch? Is he supposed to be this like giant monster being pampered? I guess it's maybe like the quirky family kind of aspect of like, I, I don't know. I guess. It didn't fully connect, and yet I still loved it. That was Adam's what was interesting about it. was a movie and series about a bunch of oddballs coming together and making a family despite their weirdness. Indeed. I feel like the rest of the writing of the movie from Mr. Deer doesn't really imply a depth of interpretation like that. Sure. Uh, but maybe, maybe there's something there about the quirky family coming together. This is the moment that they all get over it and accept each other for like what they are. For sure. What else you got? Oh, I got a question for you. Oh, another question. So Harry's back in the city. Lithgow's running all over trying to find him before someone blows him away to probably come to his shop to get a taxidermied or whatever to put on the wall. Right, And Harry is in a dumpster that's been lifted up by a dump truck. Mm -hmm. And he calls out to Lithgow. And Lithgow jumps in the cab and drives the dump truck away. Can you tell me why is there a running dump truck just left abandoned in the alleyway? Plot reasons? You know, it's one of those movie logic things where you just kind of have to be like, okay, this is a thing that's going on right now. I had a friend in college who stuck into a construction site one night and found a bobcat with keys in the ignition and proceeded to dig a 30-foot crater in the construction site. Well, there you go. Uh, he's a legend. So it just made me think of that. But also, somebody's going to lose their job come Monday morning because they left the keys in a dump truck and Lithgow just drives it away. I thought that was odd. Indeed. There's a lot of silliness in this movie, but I, I did find one scene that was very heartwarming. 
Okay. When Amici comes to their house and they're having dinner and he's trying to tell the Hendersons to give up on Bigfoot. Doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. And then he realizes there is a Bigfoot. Like, I actually was a little touched by this scene. Because again, Cause it, yeah, go ahead. But it goes on for like two minutes where he's explaining ad nauseum while it's not real. And then the whole time Harry's in the background in the living room yeah. just kind of messing around. And the whole family's like letting him go on, but they're kind of smiling and laughing and... Yeah, you're right. Finally, Harry walks in and there's this moment of realization. And again, you know, between the two Bigfoot hunters, there's Lafleur, who's this like obsessed French guy who really wants to kill Bigfoot. Like that's Indeed. his goal. Yeah. And Amici, I feel like, is this this much older Bigfoot hunter who's sort of lost the dream. He's getting a little jaded with Bigfoot. Nobody comes to his museum anymore. And so for him to like have this actualization that like his lifelong dream was actually true and meet Bigfoot – and he's very kind about it. I actually thought that scene was really nice. I thought that was a good scene. What sells it is the performance by Don Amici. Like just oh, the yeah. look on his face, the surprise, the joy, the like, oh my gosh, this wasn't all for nothing. You just really, it reads on him so well. It's great. Uh, and I feel like that's the that's the trigger of where Harry is like really part of the family now because he's like at the dinner table almost. Right. So uh, we asked the class of 80s, hi, you adopt a Bigfoot, you integrate him into your family. What do you name your Bigfoot? Indeed. These came all over the place. Megatron. You know. 80s. I, I get it. Bart. Bart. Uh, Shaquille, after the Bigfooted human, Avi. Tall dude. Reginald. It's a distinguished name, Reginald. Reginald. Because that gives him options. He could be Reggie. He could be Reg. Or he could be Sir Reginald the Third. This one's fun. Sasquatch. 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 Sasquatch is like a like a sound you make when you're like window washing and it goes like squeak and like catches a little bit. Sasquatch. Yeah. Sasquatch. I'm going to say the next one and I'm going to need you to do an impression of this. Chewy. I can't do a Chewy impression. You can't do a Chewy? It just sounds like me clicking my... It's not really good. Uh, Listeners, everybody, we're going to do this wherever you are right now. I hope you're on a trail. You're in a public forum. All of us on three. I I need you to give your best Chewbacca. One, two, three. Good. We all did that together. We all experienced it. That was amazing. You guys sounded way better than I did. No, you sounded great. If someone's looking at you awkwardly, now, give them a little wink. Yeah, just be like, I'm listening to the 80s High podcast. If you want to be in the loop, you listen too. That's all I got to tell him. There's a bit of a low blow one here. Rosie O'Donnell. That's rough. That was unnecessary. Unnecessary. Unnecessary roughness, I believe, is a call in sports. Shots fired. Unnecessary. Unnecessary roughness. Uh, But then I like, I think there's a really, this is with the Reginald kind of one. There's kind of a progressive option here that I really like. Yeah, it's a very Seattle answer. I'll let them tell me their name. Yeah. Very open of you. Very thoughtful. Instead of just naming the creature whatever you want. It's like somebody showing up in Seattle and calling the big mountain Rainier instead of asking what people call it around here. Tacoma. That would have been nice. That would have been thoughtful. For instance. What else you got? This is such a small thing, but it took me back to something that just really hit 80s, which was there's a point in the movie where Harry licks a TV screen and there's a static noise. Oh, yeah. With LCD and LED and all these like fantastic TVs that we have now, there's no static when you touch right. the screen. But on those old CRT TVs, you just get that static cracking all the time. And that sound just took me back to that. That's a good tactile memory. We know on this podcast, we talk a lot about the memories that you have of like what you watched and what you heard. But there's like, it's interesting to like bring back actual physical contact memories from the 80s. And that's a good one. 
In the world of small jokes, uh, I love the recurring gag where Harry just tries to gently touch people's faces and he throws them like oh my God. five feet. I find that a bit comical. It's silly. Okay, all of those points is where I was like, you could turn this movie into a surprise horror movie at any point where he goes to touch somebody and you just see his eyes go a little squint and then he <laughs> snaps their neck. Like at any moment, I'm like, we are one movement away from this turning into a nightmare horror movie. Where he's like, and you just see his eyes and you're like, what's going on? And he's like, and he just crushes a neck. The shot is you never see the person. It's always on Harry's face and he looks so yeah. soft and gentle. Yeah. And then you, you see the look that you're talking about, the winced eyes. And then there's just like a little squirt of blood like onto Harry's face. Yeah. But you never see what happened to the person. You hear the noise, but you don't have to see it. In my mind, this is where Harry just goes, full murder, rage in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the plot twist we don't see coming. My other slapstick, I grew up with three Jack Russell Terriers. Oh, yes. Which is the dog they have in this movie. And near the very end, Lafleur like, chucks the Jack Russell Terrier because it's trying to defend he Harry and the family. He throws that dog. Yeah. And Harry just one hand palm catches the dog. Catches the dog. Which I thought was funny. And impressive that Harry's just like, boom, I got this Jack Russell He has Terrier. great hand-eye coordination. It was perfect. <laughs> I thought it was actually pretty funny. I thought it was kind of cute. So when George goes to see Dr. Wrightwood, he's basically like, oh, is Bigfoot real or not? And Tony Michi has this great line, which actually made me stop. He's like, have you ever seen a baby pigeon? And I was like, I've not. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a great line. What do you mean you haven't seen Sasquatch? Have you ever seen a baby pigeon? And they're all over the city. And he's like, you live in Seattle. Have you ever seen one? And I was like... He's right. That's a really good point. So you mentioned that scene in the dumpster, and we didn't mention that at one point, Harry is fighting or kind of trying to stay away from Lafleur in that dumpster. And at one point, Harry grabs his revolver and starts looking down the barrel. Do you oh, remember yeah, that part? Right, right. He picks it up like he's inspecting it, and he's looking right down the barrel, and Lafleur's like hand goes up like he's going to pull the trigger. Yeah. Like, this dark. is dark. Really dark. I mean, if I was a kid, I'd probably have been like, what's going on? Yeah. And this is a thing, too, that I think is different from the 80s to now of, like, family movies. Is there's some dark stuff? I just don't think you see that in family film today. Eh, you kind of do. Maybe not as, a different uh, as presented, presented differently. Yeah. So when we did Dino Riders last, you had an amazing catch when the Rulons got shot out of the belly of the Valorian ship and there was like a Star Wars sound effect. And they yes. shoot the computer and you hear R2-D2. Right, right, right. Did you catch the Star Wars sound effect in this? Hmm. So as the Hendersons are returning Harry to the woods. Okay. The station wagon's not doing well. And as it's struggling up this hill, it makes this sound like... It does? And it's definitely like a downed X-Wing. It's a it's a shot X-Wing crashing. Or it might be a TIE Wait, fighter I thought crashing. that was the noise when the Millennium Falcon couldn't go into hyperdrive. Oh, you're right. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. It's the Millennium Falcon. It made that noise? You've got to be kidding. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. Like, uh, watch when they exit off Rainier, which we'll talk about that later. But when oh, they, after they exit to Rainier, but before they get out of the car, like that little 60-second window. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's amazing. I totally missed that. Ridiculous. Um, Just a few other little great moments. At one point, George is very frustrated with all of these, (laughs) what he calls crackpots with guns. Oh, my God. 
bloodthirsty crackpots. And then he says, unqualified people running around with weapons. And I was like, that's America in a nutshell. (laughs) 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 It's kind of true. Um, But he says, we've become an enemy to anything wondrous. And I thought that was such a great That is prescient. That's a good line. Wow. Real feels here, George. Yeah. Speaking of the Millennium Falcon, there were two other sound effects that really stuck out to me that I have questions for you. I think I know which one is. They're escaping. They're on I-5. Yes. They're stuck in traffic. A cop car goes by with its sirens blasting, clears the traffic out. Harry sees this, having neither witnessed nor heard a cop car before. Yep. Sticks his head out the window and goes, mimics a cop siren. Yeah. How how do you feel about this choice? How do you feel about the ability of Harry to immediately adapt any sounds he hears? Well, the thing is with this movie, and I'm so glad you brought this up, is... This entire movie is him picking up on subtle humanisms and imitating them. He does this throughout the movie. Do you remember? So obviously when they hit him, they put him on the roof of the car, right? Take him away. As you would. There's something that happens where the neighbor lady passes out. He puts her on the roof of the car. Oh, does he? Yeah. So there's one point where she's on the roof of the car because that's what they did to him. And so he's imitating that. Oh, my God. Puts her on the roof. And I was like, oh, it's like a subtle learning. There's also a great scene when he's run away and he's going through the neighborhoods. He's looking in this window and there's a woman cooking a chicken. And she lowers (laughs) this chicken into this boiling pot of water. Right. Whole chicken. And then he turns around and there's this older couple and this husband is guiding, like helping his wife get into a hot tub and he's looking back and forth. He's seen what's happened to the chicken and he's like worried about like, it's like, what is going on here? Right. Again, it's these little subtle things, but I was like, he's slowly picking up on human mannerisms. And there's even another great scene that I like where at one point, oh, at the beginning, he eats Sarah's, the daughter's corsage. She's ticked. She has a corsage. She's going to the dance. And so later, he brings her this huge bouquet of flowers, which he picks from the neighbor's yard. Right. She flips out, blames the gardener. But he brings this huge bouquet of flowers, and it's just like this very touching moment. That's finally when she softens to Harry. Because up to this point, she's like, I hate this guy. He's ruining everything. And there's just a nice little coda at the end of the movie where after they have the altercation and everything's fine, and they're going to send Harry back off. She picks this little flower and hands it to him and he goes to eat it and they're all looking concerned and he stops and smiles. He's a jokester. <laughs> he's a jo- oh, that's he's right. A jokester. He, I, I wrote that down. He knows jokes by the end of the movie. Yeah, he's like, and, he's, and then they oh. all start cracking up. And so it's like he's learning little humanisms along the way. So to your point, that siren call totally makes sense. He saw the cause and effect. He may not know speech. Well, actually he does. So, he says a word at the end, doesn't he? Yes, we have to get into that. So you've talked me off the cliff with this police siren. I'm going to try and take it one level deeper and tap into my cryptozoologist. So to be a cryptid, which yes. is an animal within the cryptozoological taxonomy, indeed, you must be elusive. You must be sneaky. You must outwit your pursuer because, again, no one has ever captured any of these things. Few people have even gotten them on camera, let alone film, hence your Bigfoot footage from Northern California. Mm -hmm. So one might think that Harry and whatever his actual Squatch name, because that's his imperialistic given master name, Harry, uh, his Squatch name, he has had a lifetime of adaptive illusion in the forest and that could include making different animal sounds maybe stream sounds 
trees falling in the woods to throw people off. So they're so maybe maybe he's very used to learning quickly and and mimicking uh, sound. I don't think it's out of the realm yeah. of reality in this movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he could you know oh he saw cause and effect and he's like I'm going to do that thing makes sense. So you brought up the hot chicken boiling hot tub mm. of the last point I have from the scene by scene recap that we're going. Hit me through. with it. Hit me with it. What you got? So I forget what makes him do it, but right, Harry at the end vocalizes English. Indeed, he says very clearly, "Okay." Mm-hmm. Is it like? Is it after Lithgow talks him into why he has to leave? Like he does need to go back to the forest. I can't remember what leads up to him saying "okay," or if it's in a response to something. Maybe it's something like you take care, like take care out there, or right? Be safe, and he's okay. Okay. I'm going to guess you take issue with this. Is that right? Well, I may have just talked myself out of it with the whole like adaptive cryptid argument, but okay. it's certainly shocking in the movie. I mean, as the movie goes, this is like five minutes after he makes a cop siren. Right. That's some high level thinking to not only know how to say okay, but in what context to use okay when conversing with a human. Listen, he watched a lot of TV with his feet propped up. He was cackling. He wasn't laughing. He was was cackling at television. And by the way, speaking of the 80s, I think one of those black and white movies was Ronald Reagan in it. I think it was a movie that Ronald Reagan was in. That's when the chimp hits a guy with like a pie yeah, or something, Yeah, it's with the right? chimp, right? Like, I, I think, think that is a Reagan movie. I'm like 90% sure that's Ronald Reagan. So it's like another 80s reference. That's good. It's perfect. Do you do a good Reagan? Mr. Gorbachev, tear Mr. down that Gorbachev. wall. Again, I'm going to say like, it's not like he's like... Well, it was a great time being with you all. And this is the Reginald persona. Okay, it was great you, to be with you all. And thank you so much for your hospitality, Henderson <laughs> family. But simply must dash. You know, he didn't do that. He just said, okay. <laughs> In the sequel, I, I hope that the Hendersons learn Squatch. And then they learn like how much of a genius Harry is because they finally meet him on his turf. All right. So I think we've covered all of our kind of like standout, interesting yeah. scenes. Yeah. We have a few other things to. I just I want to get this out real quick because oh, we've boy. mentioned it a few mm-hmm. times. I have a this is my segment that I'm going to call Hollywood gripes. Oh. <laughs> this is such a Hollywood thing. Drives me bonkers. This is very California centric. Did you notice they said the i5? Oh no. Did you notice they said the i90? I missed that. No. So multiple times they refer to Interstate 5 or Interstate 90, as the I-5 or the I-90. That is a very California thing. And this crops up in movies all the time. That's really interesting. That's a good catch. No one around here says, oh, I'm going to go take the 5. They'll be like, oh, Interstate 5, I-5. I only hear I-5 and 9. And and when I hear 90, people don't say I. They just say 90. Usually not. There's some variation. Never say the. They do that multiple times in this. It's a very... Hollywood thing. Drives me bonkers. You'll notice it in movies. It drives me crazy. That's a really good catch. No, I like that. I like your, what what section are we calling? Hollywood gripes? Hollywood gripes. (laughs) I feel like your first Hollywood gripe has really introduced us into a nice thing. We're like, in Harry and the Hendersons, they did largely shoot in Seattle. And it's cool to see your city in a movie. Because Seattle's not in a lot of movies. Like, 
I spent a lot of time in Cincinnati, and Cincinnati was, like, very welcoming to Hollywood, so there are a lot of movies that you get to see. It's like, uh, you get to see Milk Money, you get to see Traffic. There, there's a bunch of great movies. Seattle Just, is like, expensive. Seattle's very expensive. Just our neighbors to the north, Vancouver hosted most of the X-Files were shot in Vancouver. Chicago has all the cool Batman scenes, and basically every action movie ever took place in New York. But you never get to see Seattle. Well, and Georgia is a huge... Oh, Georgia, yeah. Uh, all another the huge place Dead now. and stuff down yeah, there. Tons of stuff. So... I want to talk about some of like the Seattle scenes. It was great. So let's do a, a rapid fire. What are some of the ones you noticed? All right. Right away when they leave the campsite, I don't think they've even hit Harry yet, but there's like a very iconic uh, shot of the Cascade Ridge line. I don't even know what that peak is called, yeah. but it's that big edgy 90 degree cliff that comes out that you see on 90 all the time. It's beautiful. It's a great shot of the Cascades. That's an awesome one. When they're driving into the city, I'm pretty sure the exit they take is to go up to Beacon Hill. Right. Because they're south of downtown. You can still see the kingdom. Rest in peace. They're taking the exit. And I was like, that's the Beacon Hill exit or one of them. And when they drive into Seattle, there's like seven skyscrapers in the city. I didn't pay attention to that, but that's a great point. The skyline is insane. It looks like a brand new Western frontier village, like and compared to what it is now. It's insane. Oh, I have to go back and watch that because I missed that it's part. It's crazy. Uh, what else? Uh, so Lafleur goes to like some government office, kind of like big, where they were just offices to go look stuff up because he's found yeah. the plate to the station wagon for the Hendersons. That's right. And you look on the computer screen and it says 437 Manning Street, which I looked up and it's over in West Seattle. It is. I don't know if that's really where they intended the Hendersons to be living, but it is a real address in the Seattle area. Well, George at one point says that they live in the Wallingford neighborhood. Oh, Nice. George's father, they're like tracking the Bigfoot mania. At one point, he's like, there's been another sighting. Stick a pen in Queen Anne's Hill. Oh, Queen Anne's Hill. And I was like, eh, it's Queen Anne Hill or just Queen Anne. Yeah, it's And Queen Anne. funnily enough, that's where I live. So I was hey. like, Bigfoot is in my neighborhood. Speaking of like the address, we're not going to say it on the show, but the house of the Hendersons is here in Seattle. Indeed. If we're so fortunate, we can pull it off in a non-rude, hassling way. Like the Goonies house has been shut down in Astoria. We might go and try and snap a little selfie at the Henderson home uh, when the show comes out this week. We'll put it up on our Instagram. It'll be on Insta if we do It'll it. Be on Insta. Yeah. I thought it was a really nice touch. Now, you know, Hollywood screwed up the I-5 and the oh I-90. Unforgivable. But there's two times where there's like a mob of news crews talking. Mm -hmm. And the news crews have on their mics and they say Cairo and Como, yep. which are the two big local TV station news. Well, I was just glad they kind of did it. At least they did that homework. They got well, that a right. couple of the newscasters were actual... Como newscasters. Oh, were they really? Yeah, at that ah, time. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so that was awesome. That's pretty cool. There's a great shot of the UW Tower. You know, that uh, just that one building that kind of stands up oh. in the University of Washington campus. There's like a great shot of that from a distance. That's good. When they are escaping Lafleur after Harry makes the sound of the cop siren, which now yeah. I'm starting to be okay with. I think I've talked myself out of it. Okay. They take an exit. Mm -hmm. And the sign says Rainier, which is not real. That's actually, you can look that up. They replaced the highway sign for the movie. Yep. Which also, I'm going to get into that too. So they take that exit. Uh, I pass that exit every week. I know exactly. Yeah. I see that highway. And now that I just watched in the movie, I'm never going to unsee that. That goes out to like Lake City Way, right? It goes out to Lake City Way, which is a northeastern suburb in um, Seattle, which I also need to point is to the northeast. Rainier is about two and a half hours straight south of Seattle. So taking an exit up there for Rainier makes no sense at all. It's the wrong direction. Indeed. Uh, at one point, did you notice that George is wearing a Seahawks t-shirt? I did see that. I thought that was cool. Now, you you are an avid hiker. You do a Indeed. lot of hiking, especially out in the 90 corridor and, and in the Cascades. 
I what this is an, I I for me the answer is no. I don't know the answer to this question, so it's not baiting you. Okay. But when they drop Harry off, when they when they return Harry at the end of the movie and they let him go, do you know where that is? Like it's it, it is an existing trail because it's pressed ground. I don't know that ex- specific spot. I do know that they filmed a lot in the Wenatchee National Forest. Okay. I also know that at the beginning, the Henderson's campsite is apparently out near Catches Lake. So, which is a fair ways out, 90. Okay. Well, I when I saw it, I first was like, I wonder, I was trying to place where it might be. But then I thought how freaking rude that was. Because it looks like nothing where they hit Harry to begin with. Mm. I think they're in a... Com- the Cascade Range is very large. Indeed. And I feel like they're in a completely different part of the... It's like, it's like if they ran in to Harry in New Jersey and then dropped him off in Queens when they returned him. Like, it's nowhere near where they picked him up. And yet, who is there in the vicinity? His, his entire... We don't know if they're family. It doesn't explain if they're related. But his friends are there. Some pack of wild squatches. It's a squatchy area. Uh, another thing, uh, obviously Space Needle and Monorail. Takes a while, but they actually do make an appearance, both oh. of them. The Space Needle doesn't happen until much later in the movie, but it does show up. He's like running around at night around the city and he looks up right. and sees it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So to your earlier question, but I forgot this too. Some of the forest scenes are actually done around North Bend. And that's also, interestingly, where the TV series Twin Peaks. <gasps> A lot of the exterior really? establishing shots are in North Bend area. Which for all you Twin Peaks fans, uh, the waterfall that's out there, Snoqualmie Falls, is what's Indeed. shot in the opening credits of that TV series. That's right. Which is gorgeous. That's like a 40-minute drive from Seattle. It's great. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, the Museum of Dr. Wrightwood, that's Don Amici's character we mentioned, is in Index, Washington, oh. uh, off of Route 2. Hold up. That museum is real? We'll come back to it. I want to talk to you about it in contemporary culture. Okay, 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 okay. We'll come back to it. Put a pin in Queen Anne's Hill for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I wanted to mention, the news station, like you said, the, the reporters are interviewing that cyclist who's like, I was encountered by a Bigfoot and he attacked oh, me and beat scene. me up. And George hears it and he's ticked off and he's yelling at the guy. He's like, you're lying. And he's like, admit it. And he gets the guy to admit, I made it all up. I just wounded pride. I'm 90% sure they are in Magnolia. Because yeah. the scene of where the city is and the Space Needle and everything, I was like, I'm almost certain they're in Magnolia, which is a very residential neighborhood of the city. I, I apologize for those of you who don't live in Seattle. You're like, I don't know any I of these words these and could care very little. So I, I realize that is very down a rabbit hole, but it's, I, you know, where I used to live, no one's talking about it ever in anything. <laughs> so to be in a place where A, people want to visit and B... Things could be set, and you're like, that's cool. No, it's, it's very it's cool. Fun. It's fun. The last kind of part I want to analyze with this movie in chemistry is the family. Yeah. The sort of obvious thing is that Harry comes in, Harry's gross, he's scary, and he sort of gets domesticated in a way and then gets released. But honestly, Harry teaches the Hendersons a lot about themselves. Indeed. And I didn't really realize that enough until the end of the movie and looking back, because the, for the first half of the movie, I hate everybody. besides the mom besides nancy okay i hate everyone so my my problem with nancy is i don't hate nancy but she's just written in this stereotypical weak fearful unknowledgeable mom sort of role where she's always like kind of the correcty like i'm going to correct you for doing this wrong or saying this or she's always like ooh, oh yeah like She's always like, George, like whining. Yeah. It's just, she plays a much stronger mother figure in A Christmas Story. 
Yeah. But then we learn as the movie goes on where all this stuff is coming from. So Lithgow is a big source of like jerkery. And he's, you know, he wants to be the head of the household, make all the calls, tell the family what they're going to do. Here's the plan all the time. He's really into the gun thing. But you learn later, and the movie takes half the movie to finally reveal this. He's having this argument with his father in the gun shop. Mm-hmm. And you've learned you've learned that he's an artist on the side. Like, he likes to sketch. And his dad wants yeah. him to draw a picture of Sasquatch, and he draws it accurately, and it makes him mad because he wants it to be scary to drum up gun sales. Yeah. And when he does that, dad goes, I should have gotten a real artist. Mm-hmm. When Lithgow was a child, all he wanted was, like, a paint set, I think he says. But his dad got him a BB gun? So you learn it's sort of like this terrible father-son relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, not encouraging. And that, that's generational, because then the little kid is a freaking monster. He's always screaming, like, shoot it, Dad! And when they hit Bigfoot, they're like, oh, his eyes bugging out of his skull. Like, he's this very visceral, violent kid. This is generational violence. This is how it happens. He's like a seven-year-old boy. It's very deep. Seven-year-old boys are, that's, that's what they are. Especially uh, in the 80s. It's just a very stereotypical thing. Well, you had a hot take on that. I did not ever find George to be that alpha dad that you're kind of portraying him to be. But I get what you're saying. Maybe it's not consistent, but there's a lot of just like, well, here's what we're going to do. And we're going to do this. I'm like, well, this is what I say. And this well, is what there's do. a lot in this movie about learning from others, right? No, right. And they the do family have learns nice from little... themselves. You like, it's, there's a lot of that. Even Lafleur softens at the end and, you know, he learns compassion. Oh, so yeah. there's just a lot of learning from each other. So. Oh, yeah. But the little boy, so he's a monster and he wants to shoot everything and he's very violent. But then he he tries to free the Jack Russell. Like he's at the front door and he's like, go, you're free now. Go up. Like the Jack Russell runs away. And then he's like, he's back. And ever like the mom, I think, turns around because she thinks Thinks they mean Harry's back. And it's just the dog and she loses interest quickly. Yeah, so he grows a little bit. But then, uh, you know who I don't think grows that much is the daughter. Sarah. Sarah is portrayed... As the stereotypical, everything is gross, everyone is stupid teenager, pretty much the entire movie until she hands a flower to Bigfoot at the end. Well, he gives her the bouquet and that kind of finally softens her. Every movie needs that person that is hard to win over. This is a very tropey part of these movies where there's that one holdout character that you have to saw. Uncle Buck is the same way. Yeah. The teenage daughter hates Uncle Buck until he helps her out at the very end and she finally softens. It's a very standard thing in a movie. No, that's true. Granted, it's annoying. No, there's There's a a lot lot of of tropes. Stock character types in this movie. People are a little bit of a caricature. And the first half, I sort of wished your hairy horror film came true. And like... (laughs) They hit him, they bring him home, and then it's a it's a Sasquatch revenge movie. It's just a murder fest. Right. That's all I had, though. The, the family just, okay. it shocked me. I think they came a long way. I softened by the end. But in the beginning, I was like, I I hope he eats all of you. I'm not wow. really, except okay. Nancy, the mom. Just go find someone who treats you better and, and sees your real value deep down inside. It's all I want. Find a better family. Find a better family. I think the last thing I want to talk about in chemistry class is the credits. So to your point, like George wants to be an artist and the credits kind of shift back and forth between drawings and actual scenes from the movie. So it's almost like George, the character is sketching out these scenes. And so it kind of shifts back and forth. And I don't know, do you remember the music video Take On Me by AHA? Take on And he's like, he's looking in a mirror and there's like that, it's a drawing of somebody, but it's kind of vibrating or moving. Like that's the style of animation in these ending credits. I'm watching this on YouTube while you're talking and this is actually kind of delightful. This is good. It's great. 
And it's definitely like the take on me art style. It's oh very, my God, so very, reminded you know, me of take on me. It's like, a, what's that called? Figure drawing. It's like just fast uh, line, black on white kind of drawing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. So that was the end of the movie. I think that's what I have for chemistry class. Did you have anything else? We did ask the class of 80s high if they just had any other memories of yes. Harry and the Henderson. And there, there are a few here that are kind of fun. I love this memory. While teaching in South Korea, a group of us formed an informal family unit in order to capture a gym discount. What was our family name? The Hendersons. That was great. That's awesome. (laughs) That's a great shout out. It's a great little nod. I love it. This is kind of sweet. One of the first movies I can remember that made me cry. I mean, there's some touching moments. What do you think the scene was? Probably the end where he's hitting Harry. Like he has to reject him in order for him to actually get the hint. That's kind of a sad scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I thought those are the ones that really stuck out. I think we are official cryptozoologists by now. I think we've really analyzed the heck out of Harry. And we're also starving. I heard that there are Sasquatch burgers on the grill with a side of like a, a flower salad. You know, those like Does weed that mean salads. it's Bigfoot meat? Yeah, we're eating Bigfoot. Because we hit it. So the lunch we, lady we, hit it we ran with her him car. Over. I mean, it's venison. You're you not going to waste a good Bigfoot. You can't waste a good Bigfoot. You got to <laughs> use all the animals. So we're going to turn him into a carpet. We're going to... This is dark. Okay, so... <laughs> We're going to hit lunch. Oh, my God. And we will catch you afterward for contemporary culture. Where'd you get them? How'd you get them? Way up north in a house that's new. There were four of me, your big feet and you. From your ankle up, I'd say you sure is sweet. From that down, you just too much feet. Your feet's too big. Don't want you cause your feet's too big. Can't you use you cause your feet's too big. I love you cause your feet's too big. turn him into a carpet. In my defense, Carrie Fisher's character, Princess Leia, if you ever heard of her in Star Wars, she does say, well, somebody get this moving carpet out of my oh, way. Oh, that's Here, right. It's basically a moving carpet. That's true. That's true. Shag no less. Shag no less. You're still not going to try your Chewbacca impression? I already did it. It's terrible. You just rolled your R. Like you were getting ready to say like Rialto. Like, okay. Okay. My favorite one is Han Solo is just freed from carbonite. Can't see. He's talking to Chewie and Chewie goes, and he's like a Jedi. <laughs> Luke didn't even take care of himself, let alone be a Jedi. A Jedi. And out for a moment, everyone's having delusions of grandeur. We are recording this the day after May the 4th be with you. Indeed. So it is very appropriate for all your Star Wars shoutouts. My terrible impression. It's great. I have two little reveals I need to give out at the top of contemporary culture, which oh, will okay. segue really nicely into a topic you want to get into. Clear this air. So I have actually watched this movie quite recently. We road tripped with a couple of friends all the way to the Redwood Forest in California. We, you know, we did a lot of great hiking. This was beautiful. It was in uh, March of 2019. It was. It did was... you see Sasquatch? Is that what you're about to so tell me? So this is where I'm getting. You spend the day hiking around this big forest, yeah. and you're you're talking about Bigfoot, of course. What do you love? Here's a question: When you check into an Airbnb, what are some of your favorite things? to do in this temporary home that you now own for 24 to 48 hours. Are you getting to like snooping around? Is that what you're getting to? 
Yeah, a little bit. I don't really snoop, but I get the uh, interest in doing it. The only thing I really love snooping is checking out the DVD collection. Which isn't really snooping. They're usually out it there. Is, yeah, right. I mean, it's not, you're not like opening <laughs> cupboards and like tearing up floorboards. I'm not losing up the floorboard. Right? Hey, this one's hollow. Hold on. Your DVDs are down here. No, but I love seeing a DVD collection because like I love trying to like figure out who built this DVD collection, like who they were that would have this collection of movies, sure. which I find fascinating. And so perfectly they had Harry and the Hendersons. I mean, and it's so like, yeah. we had to bust it out and watch it after being in the Redwoods. But it is it, sure. it is a thing where like growing up in the Midwest, in Ohio, you see forests from the sky that quickly turn into farmland or into cities or subdivisions. Mm. And, and forests aren't very large. But then you get out to the Pacific Northwest or you go to Alaska right. and you see Doug Furs and you see Redwoods and you're like, oh, ho, 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 ho. Sequoias, yeah. Sequoias. Every time I fly in and out of Seattle and I look down or we're mountain climbing and you look out off the ridge and the forests just never end. Yeah. It is a window where I'm like, you know, something could be out there. <laughs> There's something that we haven't found yet because this forest just goes on and on and on and on. It's amazing. Yeah. But the other part that is my introduction to a topic you want to get into in the summer of 2010, my wife had a family reunion that got canceled at the last minute. So she had three weeks off of work, and mm. I was in between work and going back to school. Uh, so we're like, what are we going to do with three weeks? And so we road tripped all of Route 66. Wow. So we started in Chicago. We drove all the way down to LA. And then to make it scenic and fun, so we don't just backtrack, we did up Pacific Highway 101, which was beautiful, gorgeous, like through Big Sur and everything. Amazing. But we stopped in Eureka, California before turning east on 80. And do you know what Eureka, California is home to? Uh, this sounds familiar. I can't remember, though. The National Bigfoot Museum. Oh. Which we absolutely went inside. Indeed. There will be a picture on the Instagram this week standing outside with the, the like 30-foot Bigfoot carved out of the trunk of a redwood. Oh my goodness. They took it very seriously. It is not a carnival. It's not silly no. in there. It is no. this is real Bigfoot science. Business. Absolutely. If you're not a believer, you don't you want to be respectful, so you gotta keep a straight face in there. But it's an experience. Interesting. That's awesome. But I think you had a story about a little Bigfoot museum. Maybe you too want to find Harry, the Sasquatch. Oh. Well, guess what? You can go visit him. You can visit the Espresso Chalet and Bigfoot Park in Gold Bar, Washington. Gold Bar. I know Gold Bar. Yeah. Off of Route 2, which we mentioned earlier when I mentioned Index, this is the site of where that Bigfoot Museum is in the movie. Now, you can't go into that museum itself. As I understand, it's it's a building that's still there, but it's not like open. Uh, But they have this little Bigfoot Park. And apparently some really tasty treats at the Espresso Chalet. And there is a giant wood carving of Harry from Harry and the Hendersons. No way! And you two can go and snap your photo. So visit Milepost 36 on Route 2 and you can have your very own picture with Harry. Very exciting. That's awesome! I'll have to swing by and check that out. So, what influence did Harry and the Hendersons have on culture? What came next? Tell me about it. Most importantly, Ben... There was a television comedy series spin-off also called Harry and the Hendersons. Did you know this? There was a wait, there was a TV series after this? Ben, it ran for 3 seasons. No. 72 episodes. What? Yes. 
1991 to 1993, this show ran. And so it's the same characters, but all different actors with one exception. The guy playing Harry? Guy who played Harry. Kevin Peter Hall did reprise his role as Harry until his death, sadly, in 1991. He died. This just feels like it's going to be giant elf. It's the exact same costume. Oh, that's cool. So the plot is more or less what happens if Harry sort of sticks around rather than going to the woods. And so some fans have theorized that this is an alternate reality to the movie where he doesn't go back home. So a lot of it is just an extended story of all of the antics that happen with Harry living with his family for a longer term. In this, in the TV series, does Harry's family, like from the forest, come and visit and participate? I didn't look through all of the... Episode description, so I can not answer that question, but it does exist. When I saw them reveal at the end of the movie, and now you tell me about the TV series, it reminds me again of the Star Wars holiday special, Mm. where they're at like Chewbacca's family's house, and it's just terrible. Like meeting like little kid and like grandpa Wookiees, it's just really uncomfortable. So that's the spinoff television series. Apparently, there was a suggestion that a sequel was maybe conceived of. I don't know how much it was in the works, but it would have seen Harry return to the Hendersons. But that never materialized. Hmm. Uh, Speaking, though, of alternate realities in this TV show, you mentioned Melinda Dillon. Yeah. Who plays Nancy Henderson. Yeah. And you also mentioned that she is the mother in A Christmas Story. So good. Ben, there are so many other story parallels besides the same actor as the mother. There is an argument at the beginning of this movie. The son, Ernie, that you hate, wants a rifle. And the mom says, no, you'll hurt yourself. What does she tell Ralphie when he wants the Red Ryder BB gun? You'll shoot your eye out. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Great catch, great catch. Also, at one point, George exclaims about Harry, it's a major discovery. What does the dad say of the leg lamp in that movie? It's a major reward. Wow. Speaking of the leg lamp, it's like the lady's leg lamp in Christmas Story. What lamp do they pull out in this movie? Oh, it's a foot of a Bigfoot. A Bigfoot big foot. foot another leg lamp. Whoa. That blew my mind. Great I was like, catch. is this an alternate reality in which somehow there's a parallel universe that that mom splits off into two directions? I mean, they do. They all have car trouble. Yeah. So he hits a Bigfoot. Oh, there's a scene where there's dogs running across their lawn. The I just says, thought of that. says... Did you remember that scene in Harry and the Hendersons? There's like a pack of dogs running across the Hendersons' lawn at one point. We're finding even more. Crazy. That blew my mind. I love that. That's a great freaking catch. That's great. Okay. Another one. So you mentioned John Lithgow goes on for one of his biggest roles, I think, is Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah. And I didn't make this connection. I actually remember a reference to Harry and the Hendersons from 30 Rock. And I think it's funny. He's on Third Rock, 30 Rock. 30 Rock is about 30 Rockefeller Plaza. But I'm just like, it's kind of funny. Whenever I mention- Lithgow's in 30 Rock? Well, there's an episode about Harry and the Hendersons. It's episode 313, so season three, called Goodbye, My Friend. Which, of course, is what George says to mm-hmm. Harry after he smacks him and tells him you got to go. So Jack is like the executive who runs NBC. And in this particular episode, he just decides he wants to spend some time with the guys. And so he goes and finds the writers of TGS. That's the fictional sketch comedy show that 
Tina Fey's character is like mm. head writer for. So okay. he finds a bunch of these guy writers. They go hang out, and they eventually go back to one of their homes, and they watch Harry and the Hendersons. <laughs> okay. In fact, they actually show on screen the part where George has to hit him. Go away. We don't want you. Can't you see we don't like you anymore? You know, all that kind of stuff. Oh, my God. Very sad moment. Jack and one of the writers, Frank, bond over the fact that they both grew up with deadbeat fathers who abandoned them. Mm. And Frank's like, I was going to law school but had to drop out because of family issues. The next day they're at work and Jack comes up to Frank and he's like, I'm going to give you a full ride scholarship to go to Columbia Law School. Whoa. Well, Jack learns that Frank's father didn't abandon him. He's in hiding because he was also a lawyer for the mob. (laughs) That's a great twist. And his mom doesn't want Frank to follow in the dad's footsteps. So for Frank's sake, Jack has to tell Frank, you're not going to law school anymore. There's no scholarship. Go back to the writer's room where you belong. And he he does the classic backhand across his face and the the character like just sort of lumbers off like a Bigfoot around the corner and goes back to it's so good but then the funny funny part so you said John Lithgow he does guest star really in this episode oh that's good and it's really funny Lithgow is basically wandering 30 Rock lost he's like can you tell me where this is can you tell me where this is and everyone in the show could not be less interested in the fact that John Lithgow is in their presence (laughs) Even though they're talking about Harry and the Hendersons, it's like it's big through point. And there's other storylines, but that's the one that ties the closest, and it's just so hilarious. I loved it. That's awesome. Speaking of TV shows, uh-huh. there are a lot of TV shows about Bigfoot. I bet there are. And they're like pretty much all documentaries, <laughs> other than that Harry and the Hendersons <laughs> Instead of, uh, yeah, yeah. comedy series we mentioned. They have names like Finding Bigfoot. I think it's one of the most famous. There's Chasing Bigfoot. There's Bigfoot Captured. There's Expedition Bigfoot. There's Killing Bigfoot. Wait, can we rewind a little bit? There's one called Bigfoot Captured? Bigfoot Captured. So there's one of these series that posits that they capture Bigfoot? I'm going to suggest they didn't, but it is past tense. It's not capturing Bigfoot. It is captured. Okay. Yeah. There's Killing Bigfoot, again rude. And then there's Bigfoot Files. I really wanted to find Bigfoot Cold Case because to me, there's no colder case than the Bigfoot Case. He hasn't been him. seen since that Patterson well, Gimlin. Well, there's, there's no colder case than the Yeti case. <laughs> there are tons of Bigfoot movies. I grabbed a sample because I loved the titles of these movies, Ben. Are you ready for this? I don't think I am, but like, here, we, here we go. Actual Bigfoot movie titles, not your typical Bigfoot movie. Which I guess is a playoff of not another teen movie. Oh I don't my God, know. Yeah, it is. I guess. I don't That's know if it's a comedy silly. or not. What is the audience for that? There's the Sasquatch Gang. The Sasquatch Gang? It's like a, a Sharks and Jets rivalry. Like No, totally. There's the very unassuming Route 30. See, that one, that catches my attention a little bit. I want to know yeah. what happened on Route 30. Exactly. That's good. There's Judy Moody and the Not Bummer Summer. Okay, get out of here with that. What is that? That is a kid's movie. Judy Booty? Judy Moody. Oh, I heard Judy Booty. <laughs> so this summer was not a bummer, probably because there was a Sasquatch around, is my guess. There's one called, speaking of interesting titles, Dear God No! Exclamation point. I mean, that could be anything. I know. I mean, talk about Route 30 being a little a little mysterious. Is it, what is that? See, that's almost too mysterious. That's like, Route 30, that tells me something happened on Route 30. You're right. What happened? The words that just came out of your mouth is too broad. It's anything. I'm not intrigued. You're right. But let me tell you what is not 
difficult to understand. This last movie title. We're going to go look at Bigfoot. Even better, Ben. <laughs> the Man Who Killed Hitler <gasps> and then The Bigfoot. I've seen this movie. You have? I have seen this movie. It stars Sam Elliott. Who's what? like the silky honey voice, like the country smooth type. He's the dude who, he's the guy who advises the dude in The Big Lebowski. He narrates that movie. Yeah. yeah. Sam Elliott is the man who killed Bigfoot and then Hitler. It's Bond. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's the other way around. Sorry, kill Hitler and he, then the He Bigfoot. takes Hitler out first, which is a good call. Like, let's take out the real monster first. Right. But what did Bigfoot ever do? It, Hitler was a terrible person. What did Bigfoot do? Right. I, I'm not going to lie. I don't remember the plot of this movie very well. This was I, like, I think the title is the plot of this movie. The title is the plot. Clear. It is bonkers bonanza. But Sam Elliott is awesome in everything he does. So it's fun to watch just for Sam Elliott. He's one of those people who can take trash and turn it into a treasure as much as they possibly can. I need to ask, the movie is set in 1987. So is The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot a candidate for 80s High? It is an 80s property, so... Oh, thank God. I think you know the answer to that question. Well, I'm going to turn to the class of 80s High to pick up the crumbs because we asked them, what are your favorite Bigfoot pop culture appearances? Yeah, what else do we have? Uh, So a goofy movie. When Goofy mm-hmm. and Son go like fishing and camping, they run into a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Someone mentioned there's an episode of Psych. Where Bigfoot is on it. Oh, I never watched Psych, but that is interesting. Uh, I included the screenshot in one of our surveys. Have you seen the purple mattress ads with the Bigfoot parents? I have not. They're like actually legit funny. I'll have to go check them out. They're cute. Of course, the Jack Lynx commercials. I don't know what that is. So Jack Lynx is like a beef jerky. And their slogan is like messing with Sasquatch. So the commercial is always like people in the woods playing pranks on Sasquatch. And then Sasquatch beats the bejesus out of them and then takes their beef jerky. (laughs) Uh, They're kind of fun. They're they're no purple mattress, but they're fun. I mean, you know. Someone just liked all the Bigfoot stuff you see just going around like in the world that people have put out like Sasquatch crossing signs or like Mm -hmm, Sasquatch. mm -hmm. You noticed when you were over in our backyard this weekend that I have a Bigfoot lawn ornament. And the Bigfoot is basically curb stomping a garden gnome. <laughs> it's true. It's accurate. Hilarious. So I'm trying to remember. In your list right now, did you did you mention Willow Creek? I did not, but I'm glad you mentioned that. Have you seen Willow Creek? I have not. Oh my goodness. This is a really good movie. So if you like found footage horror movies. Oh, is that what it is? I know there's a ton of them, and I know some of them are terrible listeners. If you like the good ones, Willow Creek is great. It's... Written and directed by Bobcat Goldthwait. It, it's kind of cool because it starts off as like a documentary. It's his husband and wife, and they're going to go to Bluff County where the Patterson-Gimlin footage is originally shot, and they're doing a documentary, and they want to go there and see if they can find Bigfoot. And it's kind of cool because they talk to people who are like into the legend. They visit the sites. Maybe they even go to the same museum y'all went to near the um, Redwoods Forest. Maybe. Because they're in that area. It's Northern California. And then the movie just kind of goes crazy sideways. It has one of the most intense shots. It's very well done. It is a 20-minute, unbroken, single-shot take. 20 minutes. Well, don't spoil it. I just said it's – if you're No, looking- I will not say – I don't spoil movies. But it's just – it's got this really great scene. But like – when you're watching it, it's you're just like, wow, this keeps going, but it's riveting. It's just really good. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, so I just added it to my list. So one of our class of these high writers is very yeah. excited about Willow Creek. So he mentioned a lot of things you said, but um, features a song called Roger and Bob Wrote Out That Day, uh, which features a live performance by the song's writer, Tanya Marone, who was friends with Roger and Bob, two men from the Patterson-Gimlin film that you mentioned. 
he said his big highlight though is it has a cover version of what was by one of his favorite bands, Roswell Kid. Uh, so I love that you two share this love of Willow Creek. That's pretty fun. I never heard of it before. I endorse it. Check it out. I think it is a. I, so I did want to talk about this actually. Uh, I wanted to talk about: Do you have a favorite Sasquatch? movie or television show. And for me, I was going to say Willow Creek. So this is a great tie-in um, for the reasons I mentioned. Do you have any that you really like shows or movies about Sasquatch? You know, with all my like cryptozoology, like I'm actually, it's really weird. Like I'm not super into like the pop culture of it. Like I sure. I think I'm really alert by the idea of there being more out there that no one has found yet, which is kind of cool. So I'm into the that. unknown, but I'm not a collector of like Squatch pop culture. Like Harry and the Hendersons might be the only th- thing of all the stuff we've just talked about besides a goofy movie <laughs> that I've watched. Well, what about a favorite Lithgow role? Like we've talked about, you know, John Lithgow has been in a lot of stuff. Is there a particular role or thing that he's been in that you really like? I always throw back, I mean, it is like straight stereotypical action film from like late 80s, early 90s. But like, I actually do enjoy watching Cliffhanger. Oh, yeah, with uh, Stallone, right? With Stallone, with all of its blemishes and problems and terrible writing and a lot of bad acting. Is he a bad guy in that? John Lithgow is the main bad guy. Okay. And it's just interesting to see him uh, like in that kind of role. Well, I think he plays bad well because I loved him in Dexter. He plays this fantastic character, Arthur Mitchell, in Dexter. Played it so well, as a matter of fact. He won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Drama, one of those Emmys you mentioned at the top of the show. Oh, my God. Totally earned. It's probably one of the best seasons of Dexter, season four, that he's in, and Lithgow kills it. No pun intended. I do just have like a totally awesome reveal of looking at Lithgow's IMDb. Did you ever watch The Twilight Zone? Not really. I've seen a few here and there. For even people who haven't seen The Twilight Zone, there's one episode that everybody knows from the original Twilight Zone. Which is... There's something on the wing. That's correct. So in 1983, Twilight Zone, the movie, came out. Mm. And they, as they have rebooted several times, uh, they do Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And Lithgow plays John Valentine, who I actually don't remember which character John Valentine is, but he's in that segment. Is he? The, is that the main character? The William might be. character? And if I haven't plugged it already on this podcast, I can't remember. But Jordan Peele's reboot of the Twilight Zone two season is genius. Awesome. One other funny thing that I saw for contemporary culture, uh, during the onset of COVID-19 pandemic, which again, we don't like to talk about a lot, but this was hilarious, Bigfoot became a big part of the social distancing promotion campaigns. Bigfoot was referred to as the social distancing champion, which I thought was freaking hilarious. So this is a great example of how marketing can be for good and not for evil, like you and a lot of other marketers Here out there. Here we go who just with the monster marketing. advertisers. This was a uh, an actual monster, but for good. Yeah, you're like, a non-monster for bad. Look, not all marketers are good. I'm not going to say that. Many, are, <laughs> many you do use their powers for evil, but this is a PSA. This is a great. No, this PSA. one's great. This one's great. This I thought I that was hilarious. Fully support. That's actually pretty funny. I like that a lot. That's good. I think we have one last thread to tie up from Class of 80s High, right? From our survey. Well, yeah. I mean, I've got two big questions for you. Harry is a creature that is strange and scary to other people. They bring him home and they have to hide him from everybody. Yeah. And this is such a trope in 80s film. Yeah, we've talked about it before. It's true. Every 
Thing, Gremlins, ALF, E.T., like, Mac and Me, Flight of the Navigator. Like, it's all, like, hiding this alien or monster from everyone else because they're not going to understand. Do you have any thoughts on why this is such a thing? Well, because everyone can empathize with being an outsider and what that is like. There's also lessons where you learn from someone very different from you. Kind of like they did in this movie, right? You learn a little life lesson. You see things in a different way. You learn a new perspective. It's just a very simple but powerful way to tell a story. And remember, movies have to be told in like 90 minutes. They don't get 12 seasons and 300 episodes, right? They get just a little bit of time. And so there's just easy ways for a screenwriter to be able to pack in a lot of understanding quickly. And I think the the fish out of water story is always interesting. It just always works. And I think the hiding piece is like, as a kid, you always wanted to keep things some secret, right? Either to be protective or like, this is a thing I know, or I have, this is fun. There's just something about that. Or, you know, again, it's for a protective purpose, where it's like the adults might harm E.T. The adults wouldn't understand Harry. They would misinterpret him as apparently Seattle did when they all grabbed guns and tried to shoot him. So that's my thought. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I was trying to like, I was trying to ruminate on it. And I think it has evolved somehow into superhero properties in our like current zeitgeist. Sure. I once was very lucky to sit first row at a Comic-Con for Stan Lee. And I got to listen to Stan Lee talk before he passed. And it was, it was awesome to hear like one of the most famous storytellers of modern culture. And Stan Lee talks about like a lot of the initial original Marvel comics that he wrote or was a part of are about interpretations of coming of age, of going, the awkwardness of going through puberty. Like you watch Spider-Man and he's whipping web all over the place. Like he can't handle, he's sticking to walls and crap. And so I don't see these hiding monster properties so much anymore in 2020, 2021, but I see so much like teenagers with magic powers, like superpowers. Sure. And I'm just wondering if the monster principle has evolved into powers, like hiding that other people won't understand that I have something special. It's othering, right? X-Men classically would challenge this where mutants were seen as others. And you could tie that to race. You could tie that to nationality. You could tie that to any othering that people do in society. Yeah. And it's sort of an allegory for real life. And so, yeah, I feel like there's something to that with these stories. And of course, those things change. And quite frankly, they just make fewer movies now than they did back then. No, that's true. And as a result, you don't get as many different types of stories because Hollywood yeah. wants to make what makes money. That's why we had this proliferation a bazillion of all of these movies, empty bajillion. And then they re-reboot the reboots. <sighs> oh my it's, God. Yeah, it's a lot. There's been one thought on everyone's mind that we haven't talked about it. Okay. Chris, do you believe in Bigfoot? This is a great question. I'm going to put a pause on my answer because this leads perfectly into a little bit of research I dug up about Bigfoot. Okay. All right. All right. This is current research, Ben. May 2020 by Civic Science. And we'll put the link to this survey and the results and the interpretations of it uh, in the show notes. Yeah. This was part of a series where they were looking at Americans' beliefs in common counterculture narratives or conspiracy theories. So- What they found from their sample that they surveyed, one in 10 Americans believe Bigfoot is real. Wow, that's a lot. It's not as much as two other things. People's belief that the government is hiding aliens at Area 51. That's 23% of the respondents, nearly a quarter. Holy cow. 
and 28% over a quarter believe that extraterrestrials have visited or are visiting Earth. Not as high as I thought it would be, actually. Not as high. Again, this is just from who they surveyed. So, yeah. um, and, and you can look at the details of the survey. I won't, I won't go through all that. But that put Bigfoot right above people believing in chemtrails, Illuminati, Loch Ness Monster, and that the 1969 moon landing was a Oh, hoax. my God. Oh, no. They found no trend with age or gender. Huh. That's kind of interesting. Bigfoot crosses all lines. If you look at the data, there's actually, it's like every other generation. So Gen X and Gen Z slightly believe a little bit more in Bigfoot than baby boomers and millennials. Oh, that's interesting. It's not a huge difference, just like a couple percentage points, but I thought that was fascinating. It's like it skips a generation. Yeah, what? It did trend negatively with household income. So if your annual household income as that goes up, you're less likely to believe in Bigfoot. Oh, interesting. It also trends positively with Western United States and rural areas of the country. Uh, the Western part, obviously, for the reasons we mentioned earlier, not surprising. The rural part, again, you could maybe see some uh, trends with some of the other pieces here in terms of like household income. Typically, there's not as much wealth in rural areas yeah, as there might yeah. be in like urban areas, for instance. A couple of other fascinating ones. Believers are more likely to watch YouTube on a daily basis. I thought this was interesting, but okay. YouTube has a lot of conspiracy oh, theory sure. type it's stuff, a conspiracy right? Farm. Yeah, and it did not trend with other social media platforms, which is interesting. So I thought that was kind of huh. there's no noticeable difference in those. And then this is the one I found very interesting, and could be a sign of our times uh, and other things going on right now. It does trend as well with people usually being convinced by how they feel versus logical arguments. Oh, interesting. Which makes sense. You're more likely to believe in conspiracy theories because a lot of these you have to bend logic. But if you're more convinced by how you feel, like this feels right, ooh, I don't like this, it, I think it's real, like I have a sneaking suspicion, mm. more so than like where's the data, where's the proof. Right. I found that very interesting. There's more details of this data from civic science. You can go check it out. But I found this and I was like, how timely. It was just a year ago. So one that's of the a great that find. I, that's it's so cool. a really good study. Well, before we reveal how we feel on this, we did one additional study. We asked the class of 85. <laughs> Indeed. But we did not capture any interesting demographic data like you did. But- not everyone said no. We had roughly one in 10 American adults we had say they believe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, which is amazing. Like, it tracks. Your study is accurate. So I know you watch a lot of YouTube. You mostly make your choices based on gut feelings instead of science. And I'm a Gen X. I'm a Gen and you're X. you're a Gen X. So I think we all know where this is going to fall. But people have pulled off on the side of the road. People have stopped walking. Someone's got a death grip on their steering wheel. Like the yeah, tension is so Yeah, they stepped so off their cycle. High. People want to know, Chris, do you believe in Bigfoot? I don't believe in Bigfoot. Doesn't believe do you believe in any of the cryptids, of the classic cryptids, Chupacabra, Mothman, Jersey Devil? I do not believe those things exist. Do Am I fascinated by the lore and the mystery and the legend and the storytelling and the enthusiasm about it? Certainly. I don't personally believe that they exist. Mm. How about you, Ben? A lover of cryptozoology. Do you believe it or do you just like it for the fun and interest of, of it? Of cryptozoology. So before I give my answer, I have a study I want to review. No, I don't have a study. But... Um, <laughs> You know, like, like we said in Unsolved Mysteries, I had a TV in my bedroom as a kid that had cable. Yeah. And so I would stay up late on school nights just watching all the, like, UFO, big Terrifying content. Yeah. yeah. Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I just gobbled that stuff down. Murder, child murder. And, you know, the more I look into it, the more I reflect on it, 
I think that fueled a, a large love of like mythology. Mm-hmm. When I took Latin in junior high and high school, like I loved Greek and Roman mythology. I thought was really fascinating. We visited a lot of parks when I was a kid that were like First Nations or tribal lands. And mm-hmm. so I loved like Native American mythology is really fascinating. You're a museum guy. That's all about storytelling, I've worked right? at a lot of museums. You know, I'm a natural adventurer. I like going into weird places in nature. I, we've, we've hiked through dense forest. I've done night diving several times where you can't see anything outside of your flashlight 60 feet underwater. That's intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I've seen stuff. I've seen the, the vastness of nature. But after all of that, I think I'm right where you are. Where no, I don't believe any of this stuff exists. I don't think it ever has any of these. The Loch Ness Monster. Now, extraterrestrials, that's a whole other story we can get into on a different... When we do E.T., we'll talk when about it. When we do E.T., I was going to say. Or Mac and me. Right. <laughs> let's do E.T. Let's, let's please do E.T. But Earthbound cryptids, no. I think I'm fascinated by... The invention of those, much like religion, I'm just fascinated by the invention of those stories to try and explain strange phenomena. And what that says about a culture is really interesting to me. Like, that is really fascinating. Right. You know, we're finding new species of animals all the time. And so I do believe that there are fantastical creatures that we just haven't found yet. Because the ocean is deep and wide. Forests are deep. We're losing jungle, but there's still a good amount of jungle that we haven't been in. I'm reading Congo right now by Crichton, by the way. So oh, interesting. New, new species. But um, I just don't think any of the ones we've outlined so far as a society were ever really there. No woodland apes. All right. No woodland apes. Well, we've talked about a lot of data, but the only math that truly counts is how this thing adds up. What is our ruling on Harry and the Hendersons? Let's get to math class and find out. I think I hit something on the way here. Gosh, we're running over a lot of it stuff. I just want to point out in my scary basement, when I said that I don't believe in cryptids, my lights went out, which is Your not- Your lights always go out at a very interesting that's time. That's not cool. I don't, I'm not a fan of that down here. Ben and his murder basement, so. <sighs> do you want to change your answer from earlier? Do you, are you sticking to it? Ghosts are different than cryptids. Okay, very well. All right. I'm so glad we told horror stories in my basement a couple years ago. That's great. Ben ain't afraid of no ghosts. Uh, okay. That's true. Math class. So Ben- Harry and the Hendersons in 2021, does it hold up? Thoughts? So I would say overall it holds up. Like it's still a fun watch. There are some cringy lines that I think are uncomfortable that that come up for present day culture. There's some sort of undertone like sexism going on. Again, Nancy is like a really weak character. In the face of Lithgow's, like, head of the household. Uh, I talked about Latin class, the pater familius that he, he plays. Right. You know, in the beginning, when they're driving, he's asking his son to pull the gun out of the back of the trunk. And the, one of the girls says, like, yeah, you can't get the gun. And he turns around and he goes, it's a rifle, girls. Mm. Like, in a very patronizing way. So you talk about Harry takes all the neighbor's roses to apologize to Sarah. Right. And then that neighbor loses her mind and she's outside calling for her gardener and she goes kimchi kimchi yeah and he comes out and he corrects her on what his real name is kimchi if you're not a fan of it or you've never tried it is a very popular pickled vegetable dish from korea yeah that's a pretty freaking racist line right that character's name is kim lee right and played by robert isaac lee right right yeah and i I, you're right i think it's played especially for the what do you want to call it the racism of it. <laughs> yeah, the racism of it. And those are really only my examples. So there's just like a few 
dialogue choices that really don't age well. But besides yeah. that, like, the story is fun. It's got mm-hmm. a lot of fun jokes. It's got slapstick comedy. There are a lot of heartfelt moments. Like, there are deeper levels to it of, like, Lithgow discovering his art, the whole growth arc of the whole family becoming right. better. I like the dinner scene where they reveal yeah. Bigfoot to the Bigfoot lover. You know, we talk about this. It's not shot in a super dated way. Like, there's not CG that dates. The mm-hmm. lighting is not bad. The music is not bad. So I think overall, besides, again, just a couple of little, like, dated um, dialogue choices, it it's actually still pretty fun, I think. Yeah, I, I would say this one overall holds up pretty well. It was a fun rewatch. I can't say it's one I'm going to go back to the well and keep watching again and again. But I thought it was solid. You know, some of the other movies, like, I'll watch Gremlins again, of course. I'll Every watch year. Big again, of course. Of right? Those course. going to go back to. Uh, but this one, I was like, it was a fun rewatch. I will say the creature effects are amazing. The animatronics. Oh, yeah. We often talk about when you try to mimic humans, you can hit the uncanny valley word. Like, it just looks creepy enough. I never felt like the hairy costume got that way. As a matter of fact, I was like, is that the actor's eyes behind the costume? Because the eyes look so lifelike. And oh, yeah. I couldn't get definitive answer, but I'm almost positive they're not real eyes. Okay. I think they're animatronic. But again, such a great level of detail on the hairy character. It looked fantastic. The Seattle love was just great. Now living in Seattle, it's kind of fun to see all the little sights and, yeah. oh, well, I know where that is. That was such a great time. You know, the story doesn't do anything particularly new or unique, but it does it, I think, well. Like, it does a good job of it. It's a, like you said, it's a fun story. There's no real laggy moments. I don't know. My final thought is maybe, just maybe, Ben, the truth is out there. No, it's a great pick. Like I said, if any stranger whispered in my ear you wanted to talk Bigfoot, I'd say yes. But I'm so glad you're the first one who did it. This worked out well for, you know, co-hosting a podcast. It kind of worked out ideally. <laughs> it worked out so well. Speaking of co-hosting a podcast, yeah. I believe... We need next episode's topic. And I believe you hold the keys to reveal said topic. So there were a lot of like stars that aligned for this to come together. Okay. You know, some days I feel like the boy in the bubble. I don't know if you ever feel that. You just feel like you're in a bubble. Just trapped in some kind of bubble. I've been living life inside a bubble. <laughs> do you know that song? <laughs> yeah. I've been living How'd you know I was going to do Coldplay? Inside a bubble. <gasps> We're doing Coldplay. <laughs> We're doing Coldplay. And, you know, like, just like how we ended Harry and the Hendersons, you know, it's trying to decide what you know, what you think you really know. And in Harry and the Hendersons, it's a lot about, it's all about challenging that. You know, when people say, I know what I know, you're like, well, did you know there was a Bigfoot? I don't think I did. Do you know he's really freaking nice? He's a sweet pea? Did you know that? No, didn't know that. See, that's the thing. Like, the people thought he was mean. Like, no, 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 Dad. He's actually, he's actually quite delightful. He's a joy. And before Harry came to live with the Hendersons, you know what he was? He was homeless. He's just living in the forest. Just didn't have a roof over his head. That was his home. That was his home. No, I guess it was. There's no roof. Yeah, I guess he just lived in the forest. But there's a lot of Woodland myth. Woodland ape. There's a lot of myth. As they're tracking Harry, they're looking for... What mythology could be around it? The, the, the myth of his footprints, the myth of fingerprints. If okay. you've been following along carefully, if you're a fan of this, you know that I just named about half the tracks off the 1987 album by Paul Simon, Graceland. Oh, okay. Interesting. Largely regarded as one of the most successful albums of all time. Wow. But also one of the most deeply controversial albums of all time. Really? So next time on 80s High, after Paul Simon had lost both Art Garfunkel and his partner, who you mentioned in this episode, Carrie Fisher. Oh, 
We're going to find out what he did with all of that heartbreak on the album of Graceland next time on 80s High. Ben, will you be my bodyguard? I will be your long lost pal. You can call me Thanks, everyone, for listening to 80s High Podcast by Ben and Chris. Our theme song is by Greg Reed at gregreedmusic.com with vocals by Chad Bumford. Show artwork is by Alex Goddard at alexgoddarddesign.com. If you like the show, please support us by passing a note to a friend in your next class. Also, you can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts to help spread the rumor. Stay radical. Stay radical.